0: If you brought your Bible this morning, turn to uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. I want to talk to you out of this passage. I want to talk to you about being keepers of Christmas. It's here, isn't it? We've been anticipating and anticipating, and boom, it's on us. And guess what? It's going to be gone before we know it. How many understand what I'm talking about? Christmas can come on us with such a blinding force and speed that when it's easy for us to be left after the celebration and after everything is over, basically kind of out of breath, wondering what hit us. Especially if we've got a lot of kids and family and stuff. We're not sure if we really had the Christmas spirit or not. But if we did, after Christmas is over, we're pretty sure, pretty sure that the Christmas spirit is gone. Why? Because we've done Christmas. Christmas in our culture has become largely uh, just a commercial event. And for many, even in the church, it's that too. It's another thing to do. And there's great relief when it's over. We've done Christmas. We're kind of like the little girl who was so excited on Christmas Eve that she could hardly contain herself. Her father was consumed with all the burdens and the bundles and uh, so forth, and Mom was tested she, as she tried to make sure everything was cooked, cleaned, wrapped, set. And our little girl seemed to be in the way no matter where she went. And So finally she's hustled off to bed. As she knelt and said her evening prayers, the excitement and confusion of the day mixed her up a bit. As usual, she ended her prayers with the Our Father. Only this time she said, Forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. Though she was mixed up and prayed that, think about the implications of those words. Christmas often becomes an artificial spiritual stimulant. It's the one time of year when we find it easier to be a little kinder, a little nicer, a little more courteous, a little more generous, a little less selfish, Many even think about God a little bit more at Christmas. In Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, Scrooge's good hearted nephew Fred made this statement to his grumpy uncle Quote, I have always thought of Christmas time, when it has come round, as a good time a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time, the only time I know of in the long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pockets, I believe it has done me good and will do me good, and I say, God bless it. For a lot of people, that's their attitude towards Christmas. They just recognize it as as a season where we kind of set aside our selfishness and we actually do think of other people, take note of them. Many people, just like Fred, drink deeply of this spiritual stimulant at Christmas, but because they are unaccustomed to it. And when they realize that they no longer have their Christmas fix, they enter the proverbial spiritual morning after. So when the 25th comes and goes, they numbly start taking down the tree, putting away the decorations. Post-Christmas letdown, Christmas hangover, Call it whatever you will, but it is a very real experience for many people. The Christmas stimulant was enjoyed, but now the high has turned into a very real low. Baby Jesus has been packed away with the crash until next year. The temporary anesthesia of excitement is gone, and now we have to face the grind of daily life again. It's all over, back to life as we've known it. But the question I want to ask you, is the Christmas spirit something that is appropriate only for the Christmas season? What think you? Not too sure? No, of course not. Is there nothing to keep with us all year long from the Christmas season? See, I believe there is. I believe there is. And the evidence is found very close to the Christmas story in a mostly neglected period of baby Jesus' life. It's there that we meet two characters. Two characters emerge who, though usually not considered part of the traditional Christmas story, are very much part of the real spirit of Christmas. At this point in the story, Jesus is just a few months old. The star, the angels were gone. The shepherds and the wise men had returned to their respective places and duties. The manger was only a memory. Despite the miraculous birth of God into our world, grimness and despair were still in great supply. But no matter how dark life may seem, no matter how horrible the situation may look, there are always those whose faith, faith in God, burns brightly. There are tiny candles fending off the darkness, stubbornly refusing to be extinguished. Two such believers are found immediately following the traditional Christmas story. From the shepherds going back to their fields, Luke records in verse 20 of chapter 2, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. We transition into the rest of the story. It's almost 50 days after Jesus' birth. And Mary and Joseph must fulfill the Old Testament law requiring them to dedicate their firstborn son to the Lord in the temple. According to the law, also, Mary was ceremonially unclean until the 40th day after she gave birth, whereupon she would go to the temple and offer the appropriate sacrifice and be restored to worship again in the community. As many of you are aware, the appropriate sacrifice was one male lamb a year old to be offered as a burnt offering, along with either two young birds, two young doves, or pigeons which would be offered as sin offerings. Now, Mary and Joseph were very poor, and an allowance was made for those who were poor. If they couldn't afford the lamb, then they would bring the two birds. One would be offered as the burnt offering and one as the sin offering. The priest would then make atonement for her and she would be purified. Now, in the midst of all of this, her purification, the dedication ceremony, unbeknownst to them, there was someone at the temple eagerly awaiting the arrival of the one true sacrificial lamb. Strangely, most people don't associate Simeon with the traditional Christmas story. Oh, we stay for the manger, we stay for the star, the shepherds, the wise men. And then when they all pass off the scene, we in effect turn the channel or close the book. To us, the Christmas story at that point is over. Time to take down the tree, put away the lights, box up the decorations, and leave Christmas for another year. But Luke, at this point in his gospel, Luke tries to stop us. Before the story is ended, we read, verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. It's almost as if Luke is saying, wait, don't leave yet. The story isn't over. There's something really important that you don't want to miss. Now Simeon, Simeon had no impressive human resume. He was not a prophet, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a king. But his heavenly resume, I believe, marks him as one of the most impressive of all biblical persons. He was, for all intents and purposes, as what we would call today in the church, a layman or a churchman. But of who else in Scripture, prior to the beginning of the church at Pentecost, do we read, and the Holy Spirit was upon him? Verse 25. Keep in mind, again, that the Holy Spirit had not yet come to indwell believers because Pentecost hadn't occurred, the birth of the church hadn't occurred, and that would happen after Jesus' resurrection. And this was at Jesus' birth. So we're 33 years away from that event. Only a few of the Old Testament saints had this blessing of the Holy Spirit being upon them. And even then, it was only temporary. And yet Simeon, Simeon enjoyed such a close, intimate walk with God that the Spirit of God revealed to him that before he died, he would lay his eyes on God's Messiah. How long he had held on to that promise, we don't know. It seems likely that a, probably a lengthy period of time had elapsed between the giving of the promise and indeed its fulfillment. How long had he been anxiously awaiting the coming of Messiah? How many days? How many months? Years? Had he gone faithfully to the temple? Expecting, hoping, to find the one promised to Israel. We're not told. But now, on the appointed day, Simeon, in verse 27, Luke records, moved by the Spirit, went to the temple courts. Did you catch that? Not moved in despair, not in doubt, not in frustration, because the promise... Hadn't yet been fulfilled. No, moved by the Spirit. Simeon was a righteous man, a devout man. He was in a right relationship with God and with men. His life was focused and faithful. But Simeon, in going to the temple courts, faithfully as he would, would he have been looking, do you think, for a baby? There's no evidence at all to suggest this. In fact, a child probably would be the least likely person he would be looking for. After all, the majority of all the Old Testament descriptions of Messiah speak of a mighty leader, a great warrior, a prince who would rule and who would conquer. You and I, armed with that understanding and armed with Simeon's promise, you and I would be checking certainly all the baby carriages in the temple courts, wouldn't we? No, we wouldn't. Not at all. I don't think we'd be looking for a baby at all. We'd be looking for some dynamic, imposing, leader-type person. After all, that's what the Old Testament talked about. Simeon didn't know when he would see the Messiah at all. No time frame had been given him except that it would be before he died. And surely he didn't even know that day. So on this special morning, when Simeon went to the temple with the Holy Spirit upon him, there's no indication. It was because he knew he was going to discover the Christ child. None whatsoever. In fact, it just speaks to the, to the reality that this was simply the way he lived every day. This man walked with God continually. While little note was taken of him on earth, he was a big man in heaven. No one else had received this promise. And in God's sovereign plan, he directed that Simeon and Joseph and Mary would be at the temple at the same time. And that somehow Simeon would clearly recognize that this common couple held in their arms the very hope of Israel, the salvation of God, the light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel. The moment Simeon saw them he must have known how? We can only guess. I picture him walking over to Joseph and Mary And suddenly realizing that his prayers had finally been answered, I envision tears in his eyes as he asks to hold the child. And as the teenage mother hands her son to this man of God, and with Jesus, his Redeemer, his own Messiah, in his arms, Simeon's joy overflowed. Luke records, and he took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord As you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Before Mary and Joseph's amazement at his reaction to their son even had a chance to subside, an old woman standing nearby approaches them. Anna. Anna is old. Her physical eyes are dim, her body frail, her walk slow and labored. Yet she instantly recognizes God's promised one. She hurries over to look upon the child and begins pouring out lavish praise to God, announcing to all within earshot that the redemption of Israel, the promised Messiah, has come. What a sight! The office of prophet in Israel had been empty for over 400 years. Now it's fulfilled by an 84-year-old woman. Anna, apparently, had not been given the kind of vision Simeon had. It may have been just this very particular event in her life that set her apart as prophetess. Whatever the case, she had demonstrated her devotion to the Lord for years. In waiting for Messiah, she had fasted and prayed, never leaving the temple. Anna wasn't a queen. She wasn't a woman of great renown. She had been a widow for many, many years. And if she had children, we don't even hear of them. She seems to be one of those faithful souls who have known the pain of life and death. And yet she did not become bitter or cynical about her life or about God. No, instead, she devoted her entire life to serving him. Imagine her joy as she looks down and beholds her promised Messiah. What hope must have filled her soul and what joy that she has been given the privilege of proclaiming his arrival. Is the spirit of Christmas just seasonal? Simeon and Anna, I believe, show us that it is not The true keepers of Christmas are those who, when the holiday excitement is over, remain just as firmly committed to the joy of the risen Messiah as ever. They wait patiently, oh so patiently, for the promises of God to be fulfilled in their lives. Spiritual passion is not a -a once-a-year event for them, So they suffer no spiritual hangover. Like Simeon and Anna, who waited so patiently for Messiah to come the first time, true keepers of Christmas wait with the same patience for him to come back. For them, Christmas is never over. The celebration never ends and the wonder never wears off. Like Anna, they celebrate Christmas by speaking to all who are looking for redemption, all who are in need of a Savior. These keepers of Christmas continue to faithfully point out the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Nothing is over for them. On the contrary, everything is just beginning. Of all the famous, important, powerful people who lived in Jesus' day, most have passed from history never to be remembered. And yet for 2,000 years, the testimony and the faithfulness of Simeon and Anna have lived on. Brighter lights have flamed and burned out. And yet these faithful, too, burn more brightly than ever. So before you dismantle the Christmas tree, Pack away the decorations. Close the chapter on this year's Christmas story. Think. Think. Think about how you will keep the Christmas flame burning bright all year long. Ask God to remind you of the lives of Simeon and Anna. Remember these simple folks who were entrusted with a divine message, a message that must not be packed away until next year but proclaim now, tomorrow, and forever. Beloved, who are the keepers of Christmas? We are. We are. And we should pray that we should keep it well. Now, we've all heard about those who love Christmas so much that they never take down their decorations or their lights. They watch their Christmas movies and they play their, Christian mu- their Christmas music all year long. Some have become so attached to the cultural message and the images of Christmas, they're, s- they're just simply unwilling to uh, leave Christmas and go back to normal life. Now, while this may strike some of us as strange or even funny, I would suggest that we join them, not necessarily in keeping our Christmas decorations up year-round, for that is not the true source of our Christmas joy, but in being keepers of the spirit of Christmas, keepers of the spirit of Christmas. Think with me. What virtues, what activities Do you tend to put away every Christmas? Should these truly be seasonal? Have you ever noticed that you become different, perhaps better, at Christmas time? More friendly, more generous, kinder, more thoughtful? Do you really want to pack up your joy, your anticipation, put it away for another year? Take time this Christmas, today. Examine those virtues of joy, hope, compassion, generosity, patience, love that tend to be stronger in you at Christmas time. Write them down. Ask God to help you carry those virtues over into January, February. March and longer until they become permanent residents of your character. Also, think about the testimonies of Simeon and Anna. If it is important that we consider Jesus' true purpose and and identity in December, is it any less important for us to consider them in January or July or October? Become a keeper of Christmas. And keep it all year long. Perhaps you may want to take a small Christmas ornament, such as a manger or an angel, place it in different places around your home each month of the year. And each time you see the ornament, remind yourself that you are a keeper of Christmas and ask God for help in keeping the light of anticipation, the light of expectation expectation of his coming again burning brightly in your heart. Beloved, I want to bless you at Christmas, but I want to bless you with a hope and a confidence and a commitment to be a keeper of Christmas, a keeper of the Christmas spirit. Don't let all of the excitement, the joy, the wonder of this time of the year just pass away as you pack away all of the things of Christmas but let that which is substantial remain. And let us remind one another and encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Amen? Amen. Turn to each other and say, you know what, I want to be a keeper of Christmas this year. That's a lot of Christmas keeping. (laughs) Pray with me, please. Father, thank you again for this season. Thank you for the reminders. Thank you for the examples of Simeon and Anna who anxiously, expectantly, hopefully waited and waited every day, faithfully prayed and looked for you. Lord, never gave up, never became discouraged. Lord, I pray that they would be truly examples to us as we anticipate with great joy and excitement not only your first coming, but, Lord, more more importantly, your second coming. We pray, come, Lord Jesus. Come more powerfully, more fully into our lives, into our church, into our world. We pray, Father, that in Jesus' name, your will be done. Amen. 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 Shall we stand and sing?